Well, this morning, the, the title of this message is The Birth Pains of the End Times. The Birth Pains of the End Times. You know, Scripture uh, kind of teases us and says, you know, uh, the end times will come, right? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, pl- lovers of pleasure disobedient to parents, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know, there's the end time. What is it going to look like? But today's question I really want to answer is in the next slide here. The big question in this entire message is this. How do you and how do, you, how do I get ready for the return of Jesus Christ in a world that is so divided and broken? So divided and broken. No matter how you put it, there's so many complex layers. I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but with all the different things going on, certain situations, certain news outlets, certain information, certain things that we say to, to be as true, certain things that are untruth, there's confusion, sometimes chaos. But this is true, that there is divide in this world. There's a great divide. There's religious divide. Uh, there's, there's, there's territorial divide. There's divide in culture. There's divide in race. There's divide even in the way that we see this world. There's divide in knowing what is just and unjust. There's so much division. How do you and I get prepared, get ready for the return of Jesus Christ? That's the question we're going to answer today. So turn with me in your Bibles if you're already there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The church at Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, as those Greeks have said, was a church that was ready or wanting to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 speaks of something called the rapture. The word rapture really means caught up. Uh, verse 13 to verse 18 speaks of that. And then in chapter 5, here we are. Here we are. Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word, your word truly is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is a light unto our path. Your word is the sword of your spirit. Your word is breathed by you. We do not simply see your word as just an historical book or even a spiritual book. We believe it is your word to us who believe in Jesus Christ, the very message of the Bible. So, Lord, we humble ourselves and we ask you to help us to understand these truths in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are three points to this message, three keys to living in the end times. The first is this, to be aware, to be aware. We're aware of many things in this world, right? Especially with a unending, unsatiable, everything is just at our fingertips type of information age. 
we can just find as much information as we want, and we're just constantly consuming, consuming, consuming. So we're aware of things, but are you aware, truly aware, of what God says? Are you truly hungering and thirsting for the awareness of his second coming? Is that on your heart? Is that the thing that is on your mind? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, Therefore by the mercies of God I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Because you know the mercy of God. You sacrifice, you want to Give yourself to the Lord. But in verse 2 it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need transformation and an awareness of God himself and what he is going to do in the future. We must have an awareness. And without that awareness, we're going to slip into darkness. We're going to continue to pretend that things are okay. We're going to continue to find ways to be okay. I'm not trying to scare you here, but being aware of God and what he's going to do in the future is probably one of the greatest joys in your life. It will be the greatest joy in your life because you know at the end, Jesus wins and he comes again. And he will establish his kingdom forever. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1. Let's go there right now. Now concerning the times and the seasons. Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Interesting. Concerning the times and seasons. He was just referring back in chapter 4 verse 13 to 18. That there will be a time where Jesus will be in the clouds. He will be in the air and we will meet him in the air. And the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive will meet with those who are dead in Christ and they will be with the Lord. And what does this text say? They will be with him forever. They will be with him. We will be with him. But the, but, but the verse says here now concerning the times and seasons. Now, the word times and seasons really means the exact epoch, the exact epoch, the exact specific season of history, of the future. And, and the church at Thessalonica really wanted to know because they were concerned that the day of the Lord would happen before the rapture. I'm going to talk about the day of the Lord a little bit later on because that's what the text says. But the time and seasons were not meant to be known. For example, Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 to 21 says this. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So who's in control? Who? Who knows the time and epochs? Who knows the times and seasons? God does. Are we to question it? Are we, try, are we trying to find out just to be smart? 
try, try, to, try to tell people, yeah, you know, it's going to happen this day. Oh, this. No. We are not to do that. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8 speaks of this really clearly. These are the, the, those who came to him afterwards, disciples, and, they, and when they came together, they asked him, this is before he ascended into heaven, he said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Wow. What, a, what, a, what an interesting question, right? At a time where he, he, he died, he rose again, he's appearing to the crowd, he's seeing them, he's talking to them, and the question they ask is, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their mind is all about the physical restoration of Israel. But look what Jesus says here. What does he say? It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He doesn't even say his own authority. He doesn't even say by my own authority. He says by the Father's authority. That just proves another point that Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus does submit to the Father. Jesus knows that his Father is in control over the times and seasons. But then notice what it says in the next, next, next verse there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The most important thing to know is that Jesus calls us to a purpose in this world. It is not for us to know when the restoration of Israel is going to come. And by the way, there is going to be restoration of Israel. But then the thing is that it's not for us to know. It's not for us to guess. It's not for us to kind of check out on the internet and everything. No, listen, it's very, we have to be careful Jesus calls us to one thing, is to be his disciples, to follow him by the power of his Holy Spirit, to then proclaim and to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is the goal of the believer. Let's keep going. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse, uh, sorry, chapter five, verse two. Let's read this. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like the thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, but they will not escape. But you are not in darkness. You are not in darkness. Brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day, We are not of the night or of the darkness. I'm going to focus a little bit about the day of the Lord. The question is, what is the day of the Lord? Notice what it says there. It says fully aware. So don't be concerned about the times and and, and seasons. Don't be concerned about when things are going to happen, but be aware of one thing. And this is how you should wake up. Wake up, be aware of what? The day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? And without getting into too much detail, I'm just going to share with you just a little snippet about what the day of the Lord is in this next slide. The day of the Lord is in essence, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, a comprehensive view of 
judgment and destruction. Whose judgment? Whose destruction? God's judgment. God's destruction. God will judge and he will destroy. That's the reality. We live in a fluffy world. Oh no, this ain't, oh, I can't, that shouldn't happen. No, God in his wrath and holy character will judge. That is who he is. He cannot deny himself. He will judge sin. Sin must be punished. Thankfully, praise the Lord, sin has been punished at the cross to those who believe in him. For everyone else who has not believed yet, now is the day of salvation. Because in the end, Jesus Christ will not come in grace. He will come in judgment. That's judgment. But it's not just judgment in the future. It's near. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, verse 1 to 22, Isaiah depicts a judgment of Babylon. Even before Babylon took over Jerusalem in 586 BC. Just read it. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 to 22. It specifically talks about that. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 5 flips it around. Ezekiel talks about how Jerusalem will be surrounded. Jerusalem will be judged. So the day of the Lord is not just the day of the Lord in the future. The day of the Lord is the day of the Lord in the context of the people back then when they were dealing with their enemies. That God was judging them because they went away from him. That is the day of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 5 talks about the day of the Lord in which Babylon, 586 BC, would take over Jerusalem and would conquer it, would surround, hem it around, and destroy the city. Joel chapter 115, 2 verse 30 to 31 speaks of the day of the Lord in, fear, in, in near and in far ways as well. Amos chapter 5 verse 18 talks about the day of the Lord not as light, but as darkness. It says here, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. In the context of Amos, the people of, of God were supposed to love God with all their heart, might, uh, soul, mind, and strength. But the problem is that they actually considered their wealth as a blessing from God, and that's the only thing that they considered. And they're like, oh, well, of course. I can't wait. The day of the Lord must be so good. No, wait. Amos was saying, it is darkness. It is gloom. Turn from your trust in your own prosperity and turn to the living God. That is the theme of Amos. The day of the Lord is imminent. But notice what it also says, Isaiah 66, verse 15. Why don't we just turn there? Isaiah 66, verse 15 Verse 16, uh, 15 to 16. It says this. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter judgment and by his sword will all flesh, with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Wow. 
This is speaking of Revelation 19 after the tribulation period whereby, and I'll explain this a little bit later, or whereby the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. But the, but the punishment, the, the, the wrath comes out of Jesus' mouth because there's a sword that comes out of his mouth as he comes in a great white horse. That is the reality of the end time. That is the reality of the future. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't even know what it's going to look like. But that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to judge. Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 30 and 39 speak of Gog and Magog, places which are in essence in the Old Testament against God, a people that are against God. And those specific areas are mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, whereby uh, the, uh, the devil himself, which is different than the Antichrist and different than, uh, than, than the false prophet, the devil himself will be thrown into the lake of fire as well. So all three of them, gone. The Antichrist is not the devil. The false prophet is not the devil. The devil is the devil. And we see that in, in Revelation Speaking of which, the day of the Lord means that there will be complete and utter judgment regarding the beast, the false prophet, and the devil. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 2 to 11 speak of, of, of the Antichrist. Now the Antichrist, the word, it's mentioned five times in the book of 1 John. But in 2 Thessalonians, he's called the man of lawlessness, son of perdition, Right? That is the Antichrist. Matthew 24, uh, verse 24, talks about many, many like Antichrists or false prophets will come in his name, trying to deceive them into thinking, everyone around them thinking that they, that they, are, that, they are the Savior. And again, in Revelation 19, verse 11 to 21, this will be after the tribulation period. I can't get into all of eschatology right now, but there will be a, 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 a period of tribulation. Now, to some people believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Some think that it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Some think it's going to happen after the tribulation. Some don't even believe in a rapture, Right? I believe that the second coming and the rapture are the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 18 is speaking of the second coming, not about the rapture. In my understanding and view of Scripture, I believe they're two separate occasions. But here's where the destruction will happen for sure. That after seven years, after the Antichrist has deceived people and put his mark on them, the mark of the beast, that Jesus Christ would come down and destroy and prove victory over the Antichrist, which is called the beast, and the false prophet. The false prophet is one that will exist co uh, parallel to the beast in order to present the world that the beast is the true savior, that false prophet constantly tells the world, you must look to the beast. And both of them will be thrown into the lake of fire. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 13, let's turn there. 
2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heaven will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies. Now, now the word bodies means elements. The Greek word elements. It's not physical bodies, but the elements within the heavens will be dissolved. We set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Between chapter 20 and chapter 21 of Revelation, that's where we see the very last time that Jesus shows up and he says, I'm going to cast out this devil. I'm going to cast out Satan into the lake of fire. And then he will establish, this is after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, chapter 20. But chapter 21, what happens? The new heavens and the new earth. And there we will be with the Lord forever. Okay. It's all done. But are you aware of this? Are you aware? Are you studying the word? Do you know that this is actually so important? Up until maybe a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't even that much into eschatology. It's because of this message that I've just been pushed into studying and knowing more. But I've just found myself so aware of everything else around the world and everything on my phone and aware of like, okay, it was my schedule. Oh, this is, oh, that person said this or this news outlet said, no, we don't. We don't need this. We need this. We need the word of God in our hearts. We need to let the word of God richly dwell within us. The word of Jesus Christ richly dwell in us. That is what we need. Let's continue on. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. While people are saying there is peace and security, there is peace and security. I don't know about this, but you know, when we live in a world that constantly tries to escape problems and issues, and when someone else has issues and other people are fighting, we're just like, I don't want to listen to this. I'm not, no, no, no. And it's okay because we just don't want to be distressed and all that. But at the end of the day, what we're really truly seeking after, and I'll tell you this, what everyone in this world is seeking after apart from God and knowing to, you know, this truth, this is the next slide here. There's peace and security when there is no peace and no security. Now, you might be, well, hold on. Aren't we secure right here? There's some peace. We're, thank the Lord we're able to have a church service in North America without being persecuted. That's true. But what this is saying is not that type of peace and security. What this is saying is your own trust in peace and your own security. Your own definition of peace and security which you create for yourself. For myself. So what are those things, right? Are, are, are those things things that you go to kind of like escapism? Oh, if I only do this every night I'll feel better as long as I watch three hours of YouTube or whatever or I... There are times that I actually do that. That's why I'm, I'm telling you this. But, I mean, honestly, don't make me laugh. Um, please, 
so there are moments where I'm just like, I'm just going to veg out. I just don't care. I don't want to care. I don't want to care about anyone. I don't want to pick up my phone. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to my wife. I don't want to do anything because I want that security. Brothers and sisters, you cannot hold on to anything. There's nothing in this world that you can hold on to. Not your bank account, not your family, not anything, not this church. You cannot hold on to anything. And the more we think and deceive ourselves and let the devil deceive us into thinking that we can hold on to things, the more we will continue to escape from God. And, the, and, and this, this, get this, the more we will think to ourselves, the day of the Lord. It's as if it's light. The day of the Lord is going to be good. I think in this next passage after this, I'm going to talk a little bit about waking up. But it's important, it's important excuse me, that we do not see. We do not focus. We do not trust in our security, in the things that we have. Maybe... It's ease and comfort and convenience, right? We just want comfort and convenience in our life. We don't want people to disturb us. We worship our comforts. So as to say almost to the point, and I'm not saying that all depression stems from this, to the point where you feel actually in despair and in depression if you don't get what you want or think that that's exactly what you need. Brothers and sisters, we live in the end times. We, we must know and believe that Jesus Christ himself is the only way to peace. That there will be no peace in this world. No lasting peace in this world until Jesus Christ returns. That is our focus. We've looked back to the cross. That is our salvation. And our salvation is present because we are continuing to be saved. Because Jesus Christ promises that whoever confesses his sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he also promises in the future that we will be saved. So our peace and security does not come from our peace and security, if you know what I'm saying. Let's get rid of it. It doesn't mean you can't go on vacations. You can't have a good... Just do that. But don't trust in it. Don't put your hope. And some of us are tampering so far close to the line that we're just thinking, it's okay. I can just leave God altogether because I got this. I got this amount of money. I got this type of job. I have this type of security. I don't, I, I've overcome so much. I got it all. Don't need God. And that's how people think. And that's what's going to happen in the end times when millions and millions of people, unfortunately, will be caught off guard. Just like a pregnant woman is caught off guard, I guess, regarding the, when, when, when the baby's going to come. There's going to be pain. And guess what? There's no stopping it. Destruction is imminent. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Or is your heart still filled with, mm, I just want my peace. I just want security. That's what I trust. Repent, brothers and sisters. 
repent. Jeremiah 14, verse 13 says this. Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. These are the false prophets speaking during a time when Judah went through a famine. It's funny. He's like, you shall not have a famine. Well, Jeremiah's like, what are you smoking? Like, these guys, they're having a famine already. Why are you telling them that they're actually not having famine? Like, you will not have famine, you will have peace, and all that. So look, look, look at the verse. Look at the verse, right? And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and deceit in their own minds. And this, brothers and sisters, these, this thing right here, there's a lot of false prophets, in, 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 not in the actual phone, but you know what I'm saying. Through apps, through social media, through participation in conversations that we shouldn't have uh, participating in, be, be participating in, right? All this stuff that's being said. And oftentimes, when you look at social media, it pushes you towards just saying, it's okay. There's going to be assured peace. The government will handle it. Politics. We have smart people in this world. Yeah, well, maybe all those smart people will die one day. And Jesus will judge them or just strike them down. Who knows, right? What's going to happen? Oh, no health care. Oh, no this. Oh, what are we going to do? There is no trust in a world that is broken and divided. Only Jesus Christ himself is the answer. Only Christ himself can be the answer. The second key to this, to living in the end times, is to be awake. To be awake. And these last two points are going to go faster. To be awake. Not just to be aware of his second coming, not just be aware of the day of the Lord, but to be awake. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 to 8 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Let me quickly explain this to you. There's two words here being used, sleep and drunkenness. Kind of negative. I believe the first one is more necessary than the second, or actually the other one's totally not necessary. The first one is, I need sleep. Many of us probably had an extra hour of sleep, right? But there are moments, I'll tell you this, there are moments where I, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you're in, sitting in a place, you're so exhausted, and then you fall asleep, you don't even know that you fall asleep, fall asleep, and then you wake up, and all of a sudden you're like, you don't know where you are. You're just like, where am I? Oh, yes, I'm in my own home. Oh, yes, I'm sitting in my own chair. Oh, oh yes, I'm married. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> like, 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 literally, I don't know what's going on. Like, it's just so, I'm just out to lunch, right? And this is what it's talking about. You're spiritually out to lunch. You do not know what's going on. 
You're unaware, you're not awake, you are asleep. And brothers and sisters, if we are to know that God is going to return through Jesus Christ, we must be awake. We cannot be asleep. We cannot just be, oh, lackadaisically going from one thing to another. And some of us are drowsy every day. I'm not talking about physically. And maybe there are moments where you're just like, yeah, I'm just going through a spiritual slump. How long has that spiritual slump been going? Do you know that you can return to God even today? Like right now, just stop sleeping. Stop. Wake up. Wake up. And sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night, right? And drunkenness is... is is obviously wrong. It is not of God's plan. It's inebriation. It's, it's, it's saying that, you know, I don't need to know who God is. I'm just going to escape from him or I'm going to escape the cares of this world. And that's what drunkenness is. is you just, just want to just get away from it all. But notice what it says in verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us keep sober. You see, sober-mindedness is not just, I'm chill. I'm awake. I'm thinking straight. Sober-mindedness is actively engaging in reality. And the reality that God has for us is not just the reality that we see in this world. The reality that God has for us is that one day he is going to return. How are you going to live? How are you going to live? If Jesus is going to return tomorrow, if Jesus is going to return next week, is the, are you going to live the same way you do now? That's the question. And, and that's what sober-mindedness means. Well, being sober means active. And how do we know that? It's in the actual participial phrase right after that. Having, having continuously put on what? The breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of the hope of salvation. Why is Paul talking about this to the church at Thessalonica? He already did this at church of Ephesus. He already talked about the, 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 the armor of God. And notice he combined faith and love. Love is not mentioned in the armor of God. Faith is. And why is he mentioning the helmet of the hope of salvation? Well, first and foremost, we have to understand that this armor must be put on. In order to be sober... In order to truly understand your, your, your life in Jesus Christ, you must put on that breastplate. Because the arrows, the devil's going to come at you and he's going to shoot right at your heart. And he's going to try to tear away your faith. And you need the breastplate of faith, of trust, of complete surrender to Jesus. And you also need that faith to be worked out in love. That's why Galatians, it talks about how uncircumcision and circumcision are of no value. But only faith working through love. And that's what it is. Is the breastplate is the protection against the, the devil and the arrows of, of, of the, the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's why we need to put on the armor of God. And then it goes on and it says the helmet of the hope of salvation. Why do we put on the helmet? The helmet's to protect our head. To protect what? Our thoughts. 
And so often we think, oh, salvation is in something else. If I only do this, if I only have this, if I only have peace and security, eh, wrong. In every way we can put on the helmet of salvation to remind us that as for by grace you have been saved. And this not of yourself, it is a gift of God. So that no one can boast. For we are Christ's workmanship, created in, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand. This is the reality that when we put on that hope of salvation, we know that we know the word hope does not mean, oh, I hope I can see you this afternoon. I'm not sure if I'm going to bump into you at uh, square one. No, it's not that type of hope. It's the hope of the confidence. The confidence that we have that Jesus Christ is going to return. That he has saved us past, present, and future. That there's no sin that has bound us that he cannot forgive. Past, present, and future until he returns. That's the helmet that we put on. The hope. Let's go on to the next slide and I'll just conclude a little bit later. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 to 35 says this. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. And do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. Oh, when when Paul was writing to the church at Thessal- uh, the, the Corinth, he was dealing with many different issues, but one had to do with the fact that they were still sinning, and there was so much sexual shame, so much sexual immorality going on. And Paul here in chapter fifteen says. Listen, bad company ruins good morals. So maybe you think to yourself, okay, well, bad company ruins good morals. Well, I just need to make new friends. Or maybe I shouldn't have this friend. Maybe I shouldn't talk to this person more. You know, just. But actually, that's not what this passage is saying. The word company here is not just people. It's the things that surround you, that you engage in. The things that capture your mind. And you keep that thing or that specific activity or that specific sin in good company. And, 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 and here's, here's the truth. So often we forget that there are more influences around us that are non-human, they're not human, than the ones that are human that are, that are really hurtful. There are more things around you that are not human, that, that are just constant. You, you decide to say, well, I'm going to keep this company. I'm going to let for this specific thing to keep me company. Bad company corrupts good morals. And that's why it says, wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor. You're drunk. You're drunk with sin. Wake up. I call to all of us to wake up. 
not in, just in light of this message, but in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ, that we, we, we would wake up, that we would not forget that every single day that we live, we should live as sober individuals, ones who desire to put on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of salvation, to live to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we say and do. That is what we need to do. Let us make most of every opportunity for the days are evil. So we make the most of every opportunity to live for the Lord, to wake up from your drunken stupor. And I, I can't tell you, like, it's just amazing. Jesus knows every single person in this room and whether or not you're in a drunken stupor. But before you start pointing to the other person or thinking that other people are probably more in a drunken stupor than yourself, ask the Lord to evaluate you. Ask the Lord to show you if you are living in a drunken stupor. And you need to know he wants to wake you up. He wants to wake me up. I think part of the thing is our, our drunken stupor is when we, when we scroll or when we consider all the things that we have in technology or accessibility or comfort and convenience, can we just drop it all? Like, I don't have my keys with me here, but just drop it all. Not, not to say that we don't ever need them anymore, but we don't need to trust them. We don't need its influence in our lives. We need the influence of Christ in our lives. The final key is this. The third key to living in the end times is to be assured. So to be aware, to be awake, and to be assured. Verse 9 to 11, and we'll close. It says here, For God has not destined us for wrath. He has not destined us for wrath, right? He's talking to the believers here in, in the church. And he's saying, he has not destined us for wrath. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I wake up in the morning and I think, you might not think this, or sometimes you might see me and you're like, you're not a failure. But I think I'm a failure. I think that I, I deserve wrath. I deserve the punishment of God. But what does this passage say? For God has not destined us. We are not destined to the lake of fire. If you have trust in Jesus today, if your faith is in him today, if you've repented of your sin today, if you've been awakened today, you are not destined to wrath. That is the assurance of salvation in this passage. And this is why Paul talks about this at the end of his passage here. But to obtain salvation... For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift from God. You've obtained it. You've received it. John chapter 1 verse 12. To him who've received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And that, that's the reality is that Jesus Christ has given us salvation. God has given us salvation in his son. So whether we are awake or asleep. Now, by the way, let's just go back to chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. If you have your Bibles, you can go down there. Just check it out. It, wake or sleep really means dead or alive. It doesn't mean the, the thing we just talked about being spiritually sleeping and spiritually awake. It's actually talking about physically being dead or alive. Now, in the end, there may be some who are still alive when Jesus returns. And so, we might live with him. Whether we are dead or whether we are alive. And this, this, doesn't this give us so great hope? Many who have died, and you know that uh, your friends and family members who have died in Christ, who know the Lord Jesus in their de- uh, when, when they died, they, they have assurance of that salvation, you will see them again. We might live with him. We might live with him. Salvation is not just forgiveness of your past, present, and future sins. Salvation is not just saying, I'm saved from the wrath of God. Salvation is not just saying that I am going to escape the day of the Lord and that he will not punish me as he punishes the Antichrist. Salvation is not just that. Salvation is what? To be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we look forward to the second coming, is that we get the chance to be with him forever. Turn with me back just one chapter. Chapter 4, verse 13. It says this. Chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, but who do not have hope. What is the hope? Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what? What does it say there? So we will always be with the Lord. Finally. I'm just going to leave you this because I need to close right now. Because this is... Look at the verse in verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 18. 4 verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Turn with me over to chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You call us to be aware of your second coming Beware of the destruction of the day of the Lord where you will judge all of evil and you will throw Satan and all uh, and the Antichrist and the, and, and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And we know, Lord God, that through Jesus Christ we have salvation to be saved from your wrath and destruction. We might not feel it now because we're living right now in a very comfortable environment. But there are people around this world that don't know if they're going to survive the next day. 
Oh, Lord God, may we be people. May we be people first and foremost who know you, who are awake. And may we tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, that that is the only hope for peace. There's, that's the only hope is through your salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.